You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. You can take out your Bibles, grab them, and head over to Romans once again. Romans chapter 16. We'll be in verses 17 through 20 this morning. In Romans 16, if you head that way, I've got actually a couple pictures. The first one is that one. You guys might recognize Mr. Don Olson down at, down at Wildwood. This was just this week, and uh, Don sent this note. I'll just read, I'll read part of it here to us at Bethany, so I thought I'd, I'd send it along because he addressed it to all of us here. He said, there's no thank you card big enough to offer a thank you for the great generous gift that you gave everyone at the, he calls it the warehouse of the elderly. That's his words, not mine, and I love it. The warehouse of the elderly. All right. Uh, He said, no one expected something like this. Comes at a good time for his family. He just says, I'd like to thank each of you uh, personally. Can't drive, but all this to say, I wish you all a great holiday season and send along a big thank you. And he, when we were there for worship time, he thanked, thanked me, but us as a church for those. So anyway, that's neat to, neat to see Don. Go visit him. He's a great Great, 96, I believe. I think he even said in here he's 96 right now. So anyway, but uh, good time with them this week. One other picture from around us is from Annika. Annika's not here right now. Maybe she went to the nursery. But uh, anyway, Annika drew this last week. I don't often get pictures from her, so this is great. We were in that long section of greetings. And uh, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. We talked about that holy kiss and that fellowship that that kiss represents, and so all the churches of Christ greet you. So, appreciate Annika's really colorful. Those bulbs are like 3D. Um, there's another great picture in the entrance there. Take a look at that of all the greetings um, as well. Hopefully by this time you're, you're at our spot. You're at Romans 16 and verse 17 through 20. These are... Not typical Christmas passages, are they? We're, we're wrapping up this book of Romans. I thought, let's wrap this up uh, this month. And, uh, but I think the truths here uh, at least point us to that time and to the birth of Christ. Um, but let's look, let's look at God's Word. Paul says here, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do look to you as we look to these four verses here right near the end of Romans. So, Father, we need you. Would you just help us once again? We're, we're daily in need and we're in need this morning of this grace that you speak of, this grace of Christ, the grace that, that was born in a, in a manger, this grace that went to the cross, this grace that reigns today and trains us in godliness. Lord, may we uh, enjoy 
our position in Christ. And Lord, through this passage, heed the warnings that are here. Um, So guide us in your time by your spirit. Uh, Speak to us, Lord, through your word this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, we might ask, with all the greetings that we went through last week, verses 3 through 16, Paul kind of launches in right here to a warning of sorts. He's saying, watch out for these divisive ones, and then there's kind of a, kind of a smattering of, of sayings here. It, it feels like Paul is almost at the end of the letter, and he says, but there's one more thing. That, maybe that kind of sense here. Uh, so far in the book of Romans, we've seen opposition, but not kind of like this. It's been more, um, maybe even commentators refer to Paul's silent opponent. So he'll be, he'll be teaching, writing here in this letter, and then he'll you know, ask these questions, these some 82 questions, not all of them in this way, but, but kind of this, you know, well, if it's this, but what about this? Or how can you say this? And there's all these, they kind of look at that as his silent opponent. Here, Paul really narrows down and said, there are those who cause these divisions and, and so forth. Uh, they're unnamed, but, but they're here, and, and so we come to this passage. Leon Morse, Morris offers this explanation. He says, Romans, and this was helpful, Romans is a long letter, and it must have taken quite a while to compose it. It is possible that news was brought to Paul just before he finished it that made him think a warning was in order. That's helpful. It could be. Maybe Paul is writing the length of time to write this. Paul hears about some false teaching maybe coming their way to this church at Rome where he's writing to, and he wants to warn them. Maybe Paul heard about the threat right before he sends his letter, you know, to Phoebe and add this in there. Here goes to Phoebe, here goes to Rome. That's it's possible. In addition, though, maybe just and as well, not knowing spe- uh, specifics, it seems that all of what Paul has written in the book of Romans has prepared his readers for this kind of last section, this watch out and avoid type section. For those who, what? What do they do? They promote what is contrary to doctrine or to what they've been taught. Paul's whole letter is full of doctrine. It's everywhere. There's, there's who God is. There's man's condition in sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. There's that. There's this work of Christ and the cross and the propitiation. Then there's faith and our response. And then there's obedient faith that looks to Christ and lives sacrificially, lives outward for the glory of God. So there's all these things in doctrine, and it could be near the end that Paul urges in light of all these things, he says, keep your eyes open. Watch beyond the lookout for divisive and deceptive persons. With that said, let's head into verse 17 and just kind of work our way through this. Verse 17, again, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Notice something here, and that is that with with all this urging of the brethren to watch out and avoid these persons, there's very little here to identify them or their, or their specific action. It, so in my study, I'm looking at this, and I'm trying to answer, who are these? Who does Paul have in mind? What's he thinking of? Who, who is he thinking of here? Who are, who are, watch out for those ones, or these ones, or those? Who's the those? And then as I look 
and a couple commentaries, I take heart because they say we don't know either. It's not specifically identified here. But then again, God does something in his word here that I think at first we might kind of go, boy, I wish, I wish he was a little more clear. I wish we had a little more, give me a name or this category or this thing. That's not here. But instead, I think Paul gives us, and God, through the writing of his word, gives us really three ways to identify divisive ones, no matter the issue, no matter even what century you're living in. For the Romans and for us so many years later on. I'd propose here, Paul gives three ways you can identify divisive, obstacle-creating, or own appetite-satisfying deceivers. Three ways. Number one is through their results. Number two is look at their objective. And number three is their mannerisms. So what's the result of these ones? Look at their results. Look at their, what's their objective in this? Consider that, and then consider just their mannerisms. And so we'll look at these three here. First, their results. That's our verse 17. They cause, what's the result of these ones? They cause divisions. They create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. They divide up. They die. They, they place in two. They divide up what was once one, and they cause splinters and division. And this division is tied to it in terms of doctrine. Maybe, maybe they're bringing in heresies, false teachings, or, may, or you know, not said another way, they're departing from the truth. They're just leaving the truth. There's the truth. We'll go another way. As we think about this, there's some excerpts I want to play for you, read for you, from Paul's two letters to Timothy that I think are helpful. So I'll just read them. You can write down the reference. One is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. So we're on this, you know, who are these causing divisions, obstacles, contrary, narrow down, who are these? I think these help. Here's what Paul says there. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and so on. Here Paul connects the words of the Lord Jesus along with the teaching that accords with godliness. All right, that helps us. 2 Timothy 3. Paul says to Timothy there in verses 14 through 17, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Okay, sounds like doctrine, teachings. Continue in it, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted, acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's that, you know this word. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here's the tie to Scripture, a Scripture that leads to salvation and leads to godliness, equipped for good works, training, reproof, correcting. And then lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2-4. through 4, Paul exhorts, he says to Timothy again, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And verse 3 says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Kind of 
maybe. Maybe the, here's our group. They'll not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. When you think of back in Romans here, what's contrary to doctrine, maybe you think of doctrine in terms of thick books. Maybe I tend to think of Wayne Grudem, the book we give to the seniors here, the, the big, thick, systematic theology. That's, that's doctrine. And yet here, as we read through uh, First and Second Timothy, and look here, doctrine is meaningful. It flows out of what we believe, what we've been taught, flows out of Scripture, and it's tied to the gospel and to the godliness that it produces. So I think it's these three areas, maybe more, but I think there's Scripture, there's the gospel, there's godliness. I think when we think in those terms, they form kind of this plumb line, this boundary in terms of false teachers. So you could ask, is there adherence to the Word of God? Are these these ones? Maybe we're kind of wondering. I'm trying to identify. I don't know if they're false or not. Are they adhering to the Word of God, to Scripture, to the Bible? Is it backed up what they're saying with Scripture? Is there clarity in the Gospel? Are they clear on that? And is there clarity in the call to godliness and holiness? Alter these things. Alter Scripture. Alter the Gospel. Alter the call to godliness, to holiness. And I think perhaps you've got who Paul has in mind here. So Paul would say, watch out. Look out for them. Avoid them. Something we use here. I guess this is almost Northwoods, but around here, have you ever told somebody when they leave your place or go out driving, you tell them, look out for the, the deer. That's one of them. Look out, watch out for the deer. And hopefully that person is lo- watching out, but that's not always avoidable. We have yet, I feel like one of these years, we're going to hit, we have yet to hit one here, but it seems like a matter of time. Then you can help me make some venison out of it, maybe. Uh, but there's that, there's that watch out and avoid. So, Again, you can't avoid it all, but what, what ought you to do with that warning? Well, look for them. You know, I mean, it, it's probably bad. You know, driving down the road, like, they told me to look for deer, but here's my, you know, looking there. We're looking all sorts of places, focusing on this. And, or maybe you grab a pass, you help me look out for deer, and by that time, time the, the mailboxes are starting to look like deer, and you're, you're kind of, everything's a deer. But watch out for them. It, you would be wise to look. Where do you look? You look... There's the road. Make sure you stay on the road and look in the ditches. I think it's much the same way here. Look out. Pay attention, Paul's saying. There's imminent danger. Be on guard. So how can you avoid, or how can you identify these ones and avoid them? Consider their results. What are the results of these? They, they cause division. You see division. You see obstacles contrary to sound doctrine. Verse 18 gives us and identifies their wrong objective. So we've got some results in verse 17, objective in verse 18, just the first part. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. What's the object? Notice here, what's the object of the one that creates the divisions? There's a negative. And a, the negative is they are not serving the Lord Christ. That's a telltale sign but what are they serving? Their own appetite. The ESV's got a note down there. It could be their own belly. That's what they're most interested in. 
Their objective is self, their own satisfaction. It is something other than the Lord. How can you watch out for this divisive one? Again, another question. Are they serving Christ? Is Christ exalted or are they exalting self? And perhaps it's just subtle. It's not an obvious thing. And even there's not necessarily, this isn't necessarily those outside of the church, but within. It's a question really for all of us in ministry as we go about being part of the gathered body of Christ in the church. Am I, am I like these ones here? Am I not serving the Lord Christ, but I've got an appetite. I, I want this certain thing, or I want it you know, done this way. All these sorts of things I want, and our, our flesh does take over. We want to be cautious for that in the church as well. But one sign here, are they serving Christ? Do they, have a, do they make a beeline to Christ? That's what Paul does. That's what um, true teachers, false teachers don't. So be on the lookout. Now, with all the talk of divisiveness, let me just say here, sometimes division is necessary. Doctrinally, necessary. Just think back to history, church history, and the Reformation. Think of Martin Luther and company. They were quite divisive, weren't they, in challenging the church of their day. All these other churches sprang up from, from their divisiveness. But consider what was their objective. What was the objective of these ones? A return to Scripture, return to the Gospel of Jesus Christ alone for salvation, a return to godly living. The priesthood had gotten very ungodly, immoral, and, and a call to godly living. So test the objective. So not always is divisiveness, but test what's the objective. What are they after? Christ or self here or appetite? So look out for those. Those whose actions result in division and obstacles contrary to sound doctrine. Maybe it's slight. Maybe it's open deviations. They depart from the objective of Christ to serving self. And lastly, Paul just points out here their mannerisms. The second part of verse 18. What are the mannerisms? It says, By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. These ones that divide, create obstacles, have an objective other than Christ, also talk well. They are not stumblers. They're not babblers. They can speak with the best of them. And I think that's what makes them really hard to spot because even the naive ones, they're enamored with such smooth, attractive talk. You know, a good speaker can speak untruths and just because he's a good speaker, you can listen and be, be drawn. In terms of flattery, John Bloom uh, describes flattery here. He's not, he's not commenting per se on this passage, but writing about flattery, he says it's a form of lying. It's a particularly insidious form because in the moment it is spoken, flattery sounds so much like encouragement. So the challenge to our discernment in this case as we're looking at the, you know, what Paul has put before us, the challenge is, some of this comes because, I mean, who of us, we don't like to be told that we're doing something well. We, we appreciate encouragement. We like to be encouragement. Maybe this flattery, it's, it's self. Uh, we like hearing that type of thing. But flattery says you're doing something good when it's actually antithetical. It's actually opposed to what is truly good. 
So that form of flattery, these ones are not doctrinally sound. They're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In the illustration of the, the, the deer on the highway watching out, it's almost like you're, in, instead of watching out, you see a deer and you go, oh, that's a, well, that's a nice deer. And all, you're kind of mesmerized by the deer until it hits your car. And that's kind of maybe the, the smooth talk, the flattery idea. Watch out. It's not so, boy, I can pick it right, be discerning there. All right. Well, here the hearts of the naive are deceived because they're not on the lookout for false doctrine or deviant teaching. Paul's warning this church, be on guard, look out, even avoid them, avoid such people. You don't have to debate them, avoid them. And how, how do we be strong? By knowing really the other voice, knowing the voice of truth in the midst of smooth talk and flattery. And I don't mean an internal whisper that we're listening for. It's the loud and clear doctrine of what? God's Word. Listen to God's Word. Be a student of God's Word. That is for your pastor to take heart of. That is for all of us to take heart of. To be students of this Word. That when false things and divisive ones contrary to doctrine, we can pick them out from a long ways away. And we need God's help in this. Well, verses 19 and 20 then, they shift a bit. I think there's similar themes here, but they shift from more the focus on the false ones to a focus really on Paul's audience who are identified. They're identified here by obedience. They're identified by those that are called to be wise and innocent and identified by those who have a great hope. Look at verse 19. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. That's the first part of verse 19. Your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. Paul begins with his own encouragement, not flattery here. He's <laughs> flattering them. It's real encouragement, and he rejoices that their obedience is known to all. And I think he means here all uh, the other churches. We saw that verse, six, uh, yeah, verse 16 there. All the churches of Christ greet you. I think they're known to these churches. And the commentator brings that out. And here also we see this hint of kind of our overall theme that has been of Romans, this obedience of faith. The obedience of faith, that there is faith that looks to Christ and faith that has results in terms of godly living. And so Paul has reason to rejoice here. Their their outward lives reflect their inward heart for Christ that is through faith. He's got cause to rejoice in their obedience. And then Paul's encouragement transitions to his desire for them. That's the second part of verse 19. But I want you to be, it's his desire, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is uh, evil. And so in this section on those, there's those who cause division, those who seek their own appetites, they're smooth talkers. Paul aims here at the Roman believers themselves to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. Be wise. In other words, what's wisdom? Living skillfully. Skillfully living would be maybe a way to think of that. And how in terms of what is good. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, it's got a familiar theme. Paul there says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So this would seem to be the opposite of having a naive heart. It's a call for mature 
wise thinking in terms of what is in fact true and good. And it's a wisdom that's built on God's word. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 9, there's a, just an interesting little rebuke for those, those who would be wise apart from God's word. It says this there, The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, listen to this, they have rejected the word of the Lord, so what wisdom is in them? You hear the tie of wisdom and God's word? These, these wise men, they'll be put to shame because they've rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is there in them? Be wise to what is good. Where do we get that from? God's word. Paul also calls for innocence as to what is evil. Be innocent as to what is evil. It's a little harder. How do we understand this? Philippians 2, um, verses 14 here through 16 help us. It says there, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. That's kind of the same word there. So, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. Where? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. One commentary points out that this word for innocent means unmixed or simple or pure. And they say this, Christians should be innocent about evil, not following the ways of the world. That type of innocence. It's a call here for wise discerning as to what is truly good, found in God's Word, and be innocent, innocent, pure, blameless as it pertains to evil. Paul identifies the believers here as obedient, that's working out of their faith in Christ. He calls them to be wise and innocent. But in all of this, there is a great hope, and that's verse 20. Look at verse 20 here. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In the midst of divisive, obstacle-creating, self-seeking, smooth-talking deceivers stands this God of peace who will soon crush Satan under their feet. Leon Morris comments, he says, Paul is not praying that God will defeat evil, but prophesying that he will, in fact, do this. This is a prophecy, not a prayer. To which we might ask, how soon? When, when will this be? How soon will God crush Satan? You may or may not be surprised at my answer here that I would say there's a sense of already to this and there's a sense of not yet. And I want to look at some of those with you here thinking of this crushing Satan under your feet. And to do that, I want to go back to a Christmas verse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If you want to look there, You can hold your spot in Romans. We won't be gone very long, but head to the first book of the Bible, the third chapter, and the 15th verse of that chapter. Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that God commanded them not to eat of. They have fallen, introducing sin to humanity. Adam as the head, and there, these cursings begin. You know, Adam to the woman, she made me. The woman to the serpent, he, this sort of thing. 
comes to the Lord speaking to the serpent, cursing the, the serpent. And by f- verse 15, you see there these words where God says to this serpent, who Revelation helps us go, this is the devil, this is Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's been called the Proto-Evangelium. I think that's Latin. Proto-First-Evangelium, thinking of gospel. The, the first mention, I think, in Scripture of the gospel, per se, the Proto-Evangelium, this, this gospel proclamation. You could replace bruise, I think, you could replace it with crush, as Paul uses in Romans 16. Think of this, this offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman and the culmination of that offspring where? That offspring would be in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under law, born in a manger. Christmas is really, it's the incarnation of this victory over the serpent. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says that the reason Jesus appeared, why did he appear? One reason, it was to destroy the works of the devil. And we've got this promise. It comes out of Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Satan and his crew have been disarmed, crushed, if you will, through the cross and the subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you head back to our text in Romans 16, we've got to deal with that future tense, something that is yet to happen. So there's this already, and there's a, there's a it's yet. He will soon 1 John 5 says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Peter says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's this presence. And then, but here in chapter 16, verse 20, the promise is that though the enemy look like he is winning, Satan's days are numbered. And so the crushing that began on the cross to destroy the power of sin It shall culminate one day, finally, fully, Revelation, Satan is cast into that lake of fire. But I think in between, there's a crushing as well. There's a present hope for the church, for all who are in Christ, all connected in Christ, offspring. You've got this promise of Jesus in Matthew. I know I'm giving you a lot of references. Matthew 16, verse 18. He says this. Think of this in these terms. He says, Jesus says, speaking to Peter, but he says, I will build my church. That's Jesus' words. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's not, I've, just in the past year or so, looking at this gates kind of differently. Like, that's not our gates. That's not, we're in a defensive mode. This is an offensive type verse. Let me read it again. I will build my church and the gates of hell. That is, gates that were meant to keep back the church. It says those gates shall not prevail against it. God is the one doing the crushing for sure. We see that in verse 20. But as His people are faithful to the truth, they're faithful to Christ, they're proclaiming this gospel 
So in time, I think they too will see Satan crushed under their feet. Christmas and the cross tell us the victory is already won. In the near term, for both the Romans reading this and for us, God will even crush Satan. And then, finally and fully, in the end time. Paul concludes here, and so will we, with this last line of verse 20, very common to many of his letters. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How do you deal with those that cause division and obstacles, smooth talk, deception? You take heart that God's grace in Jesus Christ is with us. It's not only a grace that saves us from our sin, and I hope you know this grace, this gospel message that Genesis foresees coming, and then you've got who Kevin DeYoung calls the snake crusher, Jesus, that comes to the cross so that all who are in sin and look to Him are forgiven and given new life. I hope you know that Savior, know this One. But it's not only that grace that saves us from sin, it sustains us in the midst of our enemies, and it's a grace, as the song says, amazing grace, that will lead us home. I want you to listen to Titus chapter 2. These are verses 11 through 14. In light of our passages, listen to this. Calls, you know, passage that calls us to be wise to what is good, innocent to what's evil. Look out for the divisive, the, the deceiving ones. Paul says there in Titus, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's, that's Christ. And this grace has appeared, again, by His Spirit into our lives. Verse 12, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's God's grace working on the, how do I be innocent of what is evil? God's grace is working that in you to sanctify you. Verse 13 says, waiting for our blessed hope. What's that hope? It's the, real, the, the, the second advent, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's a grace that appeared in the flesh that Christmas night in Bethlehem, and it's a grace that purchased our pardon on the cross. It's a grace that is presently training us, and it's a blessed hope in the one who will appear again. So in the present, in the present, be on guard. Watch out for the deer. Look. Avoid those who would cause divisions contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Consider their objective that deviates from Christ to their own belly. And don't be deceived by the smooth talk and flattery. So watch out and then grow. Grow in your obedience of faith in Christ through His Word. Be wise, be mature to discern what is truly good and then to flee from what is evil. And then verse 20 here, take heart in your God of peace. In the midst of this, obstacles, division. You know, I heard the bells on Christmas. There's no peace. What's the, the beauty of that song is it finally remembers there is a God. He is the God of peace. He rules and He reigns. And He pronounced peace to the shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem. 
And as Paul says, he will soon crush Satan under your feet, even as those feet preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And in all this, we're assured of God's present and continuing grace in our lives. To him be all the glory. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this word today and this hope. We know the end. And Lord, I pray that we all know the Savior, our righteousness in Christ, this offspring that would come. Yes, Satan would bite at the heel, bruise a heel, but it's nothing like the crushing of the head. And that's the one, you are the one we worship today. So Lord, in this Christmas season, again, as we look towards the manger and the nativity, may we see grace came. Grace has appeared. Uh, Jesus taking on flesh to live a sinless life, to go to the cross, to rise again, that we might have new life forever, being freed from everything that held us in bondage and being able to live lives in obedience to you by your work of grace in us. May we treasure you in our lives, and may you give us eyes wide open, help us to avoid, help us to discern, help us to watch out. Listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.